The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by PCGS, announcing PCGS Banknote. PCGS is proud to launch PCGS Banknote as the premier third-party certification service for paper currency. PCGS currency grading pedigree traces back to 2005, and they are excited to offer PCGS banknote certification and grading services in-house and on United States soil, which ensures customers receive the fast, efficient service that they expect with the PCGS name and the protection they trust when their collectibles are examined and encapsulated by PCGS professionals. To learn more, go to PCGS.com. This week on the Coin Week podcast... We go a little bit off the beaten trail, and I will talk about the last two weeks of my experience in numismatics, first at the CoinX show in St. Charles, Missouri, and secondly at the Whitman Expo in Baltimore, where I had the good fortune to stand in line for five hours to try to get my hands on a 2019S Enhanced Reverse Proof. You'll find out all about these experiences next on the Coin Week Podcast. Usually on the Coin Week podcast, I like to go deep in conversation with market makers, collectors, and other figures in the numismatic industry. This week, I'd like to take a different tact and discuss what my experiences and observations have been in the last two weeks of numismatics. When I started the year, I looked at the 2019 calendars essentially winding down after the ANA show in Chicago. Of course, for me, the Whitman Coin Expo in Baltimore is a sort of a regional local show. It's a short drive for me. I take about a two and a half hour drive up I-95, go to the show for a day or two, speak to dealers and collectors, and I try to get some good footage that we have shown on our YouTube channel. This year, however, I had many other things on my mind. I had a show the week before that took place in St. Charles, Missouri where I got to go and experience a beta test for a live streaming project that Coin Week was participating in with a roundtable group. That is the Coin Dealers Helping Coin Dealers Facebook page group's marketing apparatus, led by Rob Oberth, who has spearheaded a grounds-up grassroots campaign to get local and regional coin dealers with retail stores a venue in which they could trade with one another. Now, the Coin Dealers Helping Coin Dealers Group and Roundtable Trading, which spawned out of it, has generated a lot of buzz and excitement at the dealer level. I experienced it firsthand pretty much at the last two years of coin shows, where dealers were often at the roundtable table, signing up, getting badges, talking to Rob, and thinking enthusiastically about new ways in which they can market their coins and items. It's not a secret to those who work in the industry that the coin dealer uh, circuit, uh, the national coin show level, looks at coin shows as a way to trade amongst themselves. In fact, a lot of the heavy dealing is done before the early birds arrive at the first day of the show. So to have an online venue that's more sophisticated than simply having your own website, selling coins on eBay or through a major auction house is something that a lot of dealers have great enthusiasm for. In St. Charles, the goal was to be able to stream content, video content, on the spot, on the fly, live, unscripted, in front of an audience of dealers and participants in the roundtable group. It wasn't really meant for the general public. It was really a way for us to communicate to dealers the potential of what this technology could bring to bear. 
Now, for years, Coin Week has gone to coin shows and filmed video segments with dealers, showed off cool coins, uh, covered the news for you, and put this uh, content on our website uh, so that it could be informative and entertaining. The problem with this kind of format is that it takes a long time. When we get back from a coin show, our typical package might include 10 or 15 videos from the show. We then have to look at all the footage. We have to cut it down, edit it. We have to pace ourselves because we have other responsibilities. And then we have to spread the content out over the course of a month or two. And so as we're doing this, some of the stuff that we end up putting online, you know, isn't as relevant as it could have been if it was out earlier. But we do try to get the big things out first. And, and it's, it's, it's always a compromise. With live streaming, however, there is no production outside of what you prepare before you go into the, the recording. You are essentially uh, giving people the final product as you're shooting it. Now, this means that we obviously will stumble over our words. We may not have all the facts exactly right. You know, the spirit of what we're saying uh, is important, but, you know, as professionals, you want accuracy. There's no way to vet that accuracy when you're live streaming. Also, not everybody has the same level of comfort in front of a camera. Some people, for security reasons, will never appear on a video on Coin Week. Uh, not that they don't like the content or what we do, and not that they don't want to share the story of numismatics with collectors. Uh, dealing coins and traveling the country with valuable coins on you is not exactly the most safe enterprise. So with live streaming, we have to get around the preparation issue, the security issue, the timing issue, because you want the audience not to be waiting around with long periods of no content, and also the technological issue. Convention centers, by and large, don't have great internet connectivity. Some of these uh, buildings are giant, uh, cavernous buildings, steel structures, lots of reasons why you can't get a good signal. That was an issue that we had to work out when we were at the show. We used a landline, uh, and uh, we had to bring a computer. We had to have uh, multiple camera systems just in case one didn't work. We had to go out into the market and buy some equipment that we didn't have on site. And ultimately, what we came up with was not live stream per se, but a compromise where we shot our footage as if it were live, took that footage and on the cards that we recorded, immediately pumped them into the system and broadcast them as if they were live. There was about a two or three minute delay between recording sessions from when we actually uh, conducted our interviews and did our, our uh, segments and when the audience saw it. So at the end of the day, it was a very informative experience. We got some great content out of it. But we also saw what will have to be done in the future in order to make this idea of live streaming a coin show and doing it in a way where it's scheduled, it's uh, planned out. So it's going to take a lot of work to get to the point where we can sit there and come up with a program schedule ahead of time, inform viewers when to tune in, and to be able to execute on that plan in an efficient manner. You have to always expect the unexpected. Murphy's Law is certainly in play. And ultimately, at the end of the day, our goal isn't to give ourselves technological nightmares, but to present the fun and joy of coming to a coin show to the general public, to collectors who are on the Internet who maybe can't make it for geographical reasons or their schedule or who may never have considered the opportunities that coming to a coin show uh, allows. I think some of the coin shows throughout the calendar year that we attend are some of the most amazing experiences the hobby has to offer. The Fun Show is fantastic. Central States is a fantastic show. And the ANA puts great care into putting together a world-class coin show with great educational programs, great exhibits, and the largest collection of dealers in the United States coin market. All of these things are certainly worth your time and attention. Bringing you this in a more efficient manner online will be an expensive, time-consuming, multi-year project 
that hopefully soon we'll be able to deliver in full. And for the fans of Coin Week and the programming that we put together, I dedicate myself to the process of figuring out these issues, these technological challenges, and coming up with a way to deliver great content from coin shows in an immediate manner where the people on the camera have the ability to interact with you on the fly, live, at home. A week later, I attended the Whitman Expo in Baltimore. As I explained in my auction preview for the Stax Bowers sale, I was definitely interested in all the medals and tokens, Washingtoniana and the Commission Americana and related medals that Stax Bowers had on offer at their Baltimore sale. Baltimore is where Stax Bowers pulls out all the stops. They are official auctioneer of that show, occurs three times a year, and they always have great Americana sections of their auction. Their catalogs are expertly written with a consultation of John Kralovich and others at Stax Bowers, and it's always an event. For me, I like seeing the history of the country as told by the people who lived it, and I think you get more of that by looking at medals and tokens than you do from coins. Coins represent the state's art, the way the state wants to represent American power. But a medal or token is a more intimate representation of the time and the people involved in its history. The John W. Adams section of the Baltimore auction did not disappoint. It was incredible seeing these medals and also the enthusiasm of the people in attendance. I attended the auction with my friend dealer Russ Augustine, but also present was Laura Sperber from Legend Auctions, Anthony Terranova, mega collector Rob Rodriguez. John W. Adams himself was there with his family, and those in attendance were ecstatic about their wins and to talk to John about the medals that they had picked up. For Adams, who's an important collector in 20th and 21st century numismatics, it was a thrill to see such a fine representation of his collection and it's always good for a collector of his caliber to see where his prized possessions are landing. My friend Russ got John to personalize his auction catalog where John wrote a note on the page of the lot that Russ bought, which was a diplomatic medal. After the auction, Russ and I headed back to my impromptu green screen studio where we filmed a very interesting segment that we will publish soon about Uniface specimens of America's small notes. Russ's collection of these notes was fascinating included denominations from $2 up to $10,000. They were given as a retirement gift to the former assistant secretary of the treasury who had a strong role in the implementation of this new currency. But beyond these two things, which were of great interest to me personally and professionally, my longest experience in Baltimore concerned the five and a half hour wait in line to buy a 2019S enhanced reverse proof Silver Eagle from the United States Mint. The United States Mint scheduled the release of the coin to coincide with the Baltimore show. The United States Mint brought 500 coins with them and put them on sale at 12 o'clock on the release date. Within minutes, the entire 30,000 mintage was sold out online and most likely also at their store locations throughout the country. The organizers of the Whitman Expo were concerned that the long lines would interfere with other tables at the show. And so they took the group of people waiting in line to get the coins to a separate room. The Whitman organizers did the best they could under the circumstances. In another room in another section of the convention center, the lines spanned from one side of the hall, wrapped all the way around to the other. Some 550 people were given numbered slips from the United States Mint, which included a picture of a silver eagle and a number stamped at the bottom. For hours, people waited with no perceptible movement in the line. I saw a gaggle of coin dealers walking around the line, 
trying to keep the buyers that they had coordinated uh, in check so that they wouldn't leave. I cannot confirm who these dealers were working directly with, but I do have my suspicions based on prior experience. From what I heard from some of the shill buyers, dealers were paying upwards to $135 for the wait. Some people waiting in line were contacted through an advertising agency. They believe that they're coming to the Baltimore Convention Center as part of some advertising campaign where they would be paid for about two hours of their time. $135 divided by two is about $70 an hour, and it's not unreasonable to see that people might want to take this opportunity up. In reality, if a five or five and a half hour wait, most of these people were getting paid substantially less than they thought they were, which added to the level of frustration by the time we got to the end of the line. A lot of these people were angry. Now, throughout the day, some of the dealers had considered the needs of these people and hoping that they wouldn't leave. They brought them pizzas and bottles of water. But still, at the end of the day, $135 is not a lot of money for a coin that was flipping immediately at the show from other dealers for about $750 to $1,000 each. I tried to talk to one buyer and explain to her what was going on. She clearly didn't know very much about coins and wasn't even sure what she was buying. She was at a coin show simply for the benefit of getting the $135. I told her that the United States Mint and a marketing ploy had created a coin with an artificial low mintage of 30,000 pieces and that the demand for the coin would be extremely high because there are many people who collected silver eagles and that this coin would be necessary for them to complete their collection. I talked about the 1995 W Silver Eagle, which was sold in a $1,000 set that included gold coins. At the time of its release, the coin set was so expensive that many people who collected silver eagles never considered buying it. But after an $80,000 auction, an intense interest in the series had taken its hold, and many collectors who had never considered buying silver eagles for an investment got into the market. This coin, I told her, would probably never be worth $80,000, $50,000, or even $20,000, but it would be more valuable than what it was being sold for and that the immediate market for the coin would be extremely high. I told her, if you have your own money to buy the coin, I recommend you do that, so long as you haven't signed a contract with the dealer, because you would make more money for your time selling it to somebody else than the $135 that they had arranged for you. Alas, the woman didn't take my advice. She went to the cash register with the money that was given to her by the dealer, bought the coin, and immediately got her $135 and left. Hers was a story shared by many other people in the line. For its part, I think that the organizers at the Whitman Expo did a great job. They kept people out of the line, off the board's floor for as long as they could. The Mint brought two registers. In the middle of the day, one of them had apparently broken down, and this slowed the line up considerably. I think if the Mint were to listen to this podcast, I would make the following suggestions. I'm not against having limited edition items. In fact, I think from time to time that they contribute to the lifeblood of the industry. However, selling things online and selling things in person are vastly different experiences. I would rather have the Mint create a system where people who want to buy limited edition products at shows on the day of release have a way of registering or pre-buying the coin online and have to appear in person with their identification in order to pick the coin up. Had the Mint done this for the Whitman Expo, then all 500 people who would have bought the allotted Silver Eagles would have received some sort of digital receipt which would have been easily scannable for a coin 
there would have been no need for the registers and no need for the vast line that took five and a half hours. If coin dealers wanted to get customers to go buy these coins for them, they would have to ship them to the Baltimore show. It would be much more expensive for the coin dealers. And I think personally, it'd be much less likely that they would take in that expense in order to squeeze out normal collectors and pick up all of the stock. Likewise, I think it's a much smarter approach. I also think that the Mint should have a system in place where they allow dealers to have a piece of the action. I think if the Mint had a true wholesale system where dealers could register and then be allowed to buy an allotment of the available stock, then that would allow them to make markets in the coins to support the industry and have this product available for collectors without interfering with the collector's ability to buy it. I carry no illusions that many of the Silver Eagles that were released last week as part of this program were quickly put into the hands of the secondary market for the purpose of selling it at a premium. However, it doesn't do anybody a bit of good if we ignore the reality that there's a financial stake involved for many people in the industry. The Mint would be able to sell more products and more brick-and-mortar retailers would be able to sell Mint products if there was a true wholesale system. I remember in 1999 and 2000, at the height of the state quarter craze, I got my state quarters not from the United States Mint, but from my local dealer. I bought my 1999 silver proof set from a dealer, I bought my state quarter rolls from a dealer and bags from a dealer, and I think it was a much easier way for me to experience my hobby than it was to order from the online system of the United States Mint or through their catalog. As for the rest of our staff, Coin Week assistant editor Hubert Walker was able to finally acquire a Silver Eagle through the online ordering system after many frustrating attempts, while Coin Week founder Scott Purvis was frustrated in his effort to get one when the system would not recognize his payment method, which was already saved on the U.S. Mint system, as he has been a regular customer for the Mint for years as part of our buying process for the Coin Week giveaways. What was your experience? Were you able to get a Silver Eagle? Would you be willing to sell yours for $1,000 on the market? Or do you think the long-term play is to hold on to it and see it appreciate in value? Do you think the Mint should have released a coin with a mintage of 30,000 pieces when there are more collectors in the market for them than there will be available stock? These are all interesting, fun, and debatable questions. Everybody has a different opinion, and no opinion is less valid than the others. We'll be back next week with more Coin Week podcasts. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and your weekend and enjoy your coins. For Coin Week, I'm Editor Charles Morgan. Until next time, happy collecting.